It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. Hi, it's Paul Camillos. In this episode, my co-host Jacinta Govind and I get into the friendlies between the Opals and Japan. While the Akatsuki 5 took the series, there was a lot of upside in this close contest for Australia. It was a great experience for our younger players in front of a home crowd, and there were so many valuable takeouts for our Opals coaches. We can't forget to give a shout out to Basketball New South Wales for the awesome panel sessions they organised before these games, headlined by our legendary Opals of the past. On the flip side was the release of a detailed article written by Matt Logue on former Opal Liz Cambage after the first game of the series. It may be strange times for the Opals, but one we know they'll emerge from stronger and united on the road to the FIBA Women's World Cup. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me, my co-host Jacinta Govind, and we're going to be talking about the friendlies the Opals had against Japan and a bit of other news that's been going on in the women's hoops world. Jacinta, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad, considering that it's been pretty cold and miserable the last few days. Yeah, yeah. We were robbed of a, a real summer, and now yes. that it's already June and a winter's here, it, it's bumming me out already. I had a COVID test on Monday. Thankfully, I'm very grateful it wasn't COVID. It's just a yucky cold, but first cold I've had in two and a half years, so probably shouldn't complain. See, that's what happens when you're not working from home as much as usual. Well, being a public health worker, I very rarely got to work from home. I've been coming into health settings most of the time of the last two and a half years, and I think I only really got to work from home maybe on and off for four weeks. Okay. So, yeah, I've just been really lucky, I think. That's good. Yeah. You want to make sure that that keeps up? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so... Before we get into talking about the games individually, what did you think about overall the series against Japan and, and how the, the Opals played? Yeah, overall, I thought it was a really competitive and entertaining series. I really, I really enjoyed it. I think between the three games, considering they were played relatively quickly in succession, there was enough um, variability and, and points of improvement from both teams throughout the series. I think... You know, Cheryl Chambers and the coaching staff probably had a little bit more to play with, with trying to find the right combinations of people. But looking at the Opals roster, I can understand that, 
getting the right combinations and trying to get enough court time for everyone would have been really difficult because it was such a talented roster. But some of the some of the things I think the Opals did really well was maintaining some of their ball movement and ball rotation when they got stuck in the half court. And I was really happy with how confident everyone was shooting. Even when, even last night when some of the shots from the likes of Blissarves or Darcy Garbin would usually be an easy bucket for them, just weren't sinking. They, they continued to shoot regardless. So I thought I really liked that from the Opals as well. And I felt like their intensity from both ends of the floor throughout the whole series was pretty stable. The things I feel like the Opals really need to improve on ahead of the FIBA Women's World Cup in September are things like being able to handle full court pressure. I feel like the Opals were, like Japan did a really good job of trying to trap the Opals just over the half court. And I didn't feel like the Opals probably implemented something a little bit more uh, reliable to get out of those traps because it made the ball carrying for our guards you know, a lot harder and they had to rely on the likes of Kayla George and sometimes Tess Magin, sometimes Blissars as that release pass and ideally you don't want them bringing the ball up the court. But the other thing is it, it chewed up a lot of time on the clock for the Opals as well so they didn't have a lot of time to play with um, on the offensive end. And the other thing I feel like the Opals need to improve on is um, guarding the ball. So, which is really, really difficult to do against a very skilled and um, quick Japanese team. It's what they're known for. But, uh, yeah, I think for the World Cup, we've got to do a better job of guarding the ball. Yeah, I can't disagree with you on any of that. I've got to say, one of the other areas I thought that the Opals did really well was when they had the defensive intensity up, you know, to that level that they needed to have it, because it was a bit up and down across the three games. But when they did have it set to that right level, they were stopping the Japanese. They were really giving them a hard time. They weren't able to penetrate. They weren't able to get inside as much as they liked. You know, left them in a position where they'd take the outside shot. And to be fair, they do have some good outside shooters, but it gave us an opportunity to try and capitalize on that. And I thought it was, I thought that was a really good capability that they were able to develop across the series. What I'd like to see is that that intensity a little bit more consistent across all four quarters because there were times where you just it would just drop off and the Japanese were able to go on a run and be able to build up a bit of a gap between us, which meant we had to play catch up. Yeah, and I think like in the in our half court defense, um, I think a way of stopping some of the dribble penetration was that the Opals were switching the screens. Um, and they were also switching some cuts and exchanges on the weak side as well, which is fine. And the times where everyone was communicating well and switching quickly, it was working really well. But there were definitely times where you could tell, you know, only three or four people were on the same page in the defensive end and then one person was getting caught out on a switch or like on an exchange on the weak side. But the downside of switching everything and switching all the ball screens was that our guards were getting pinned against their bigs quite a lot. And there sometimes there was help coming down low from the wrong spots to try and counteract that. And then the Japanese team was able just to get an easy dish and an easy layup. Um, so I wonder if the Opals will go back and perhaps try and revise some of that half-court defense. Yeah, I think there was also a couple of times, I think it was particularly in game three, where we would inbound the ball, and I think there were a couple of times where Japan got it back from us before it even crossed the halfway line. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And, um, you know, we've got Serbia in our pool. They're really tough defenders as well. The Japanese team, this tournament was really tough. We just needed to get a better job of 
being able to handle that toughness for a full 40 minutes and making sure that the opals are like just doing simple things like getting open and making hard cuts and setting really good screens because the times we were doing that we got really good options especially off a horn set when Shyla Hill would call a horn set and you've got Darcy Garvin and Kayla George up the top setting the screens we got some really really good looks. It almost feels like because there's still a bit of chopping and changing happening with the roster they're not really quite in that position where they can start you know preparing the sets that they want to be able to work on long term they're still trying to figure out what are the pieces of the puzzle that we need to have put together and let's not forget there's players like Tolo weren't in the roster so that means you still got to try and develop that you know no Tolo no Ezzy no Sammy so parts of the the equation just weren't there so we were almost in effect trying to fill in the gaps with the players that we had here and it may not have quite worked making the adjustments to suit height speed and other abilities yeah no I totally agree so Looking at the games, I mean, let's go backwards because the one that's most fresh in our mind is Game 3. I think the biggest standout from Game 3 was the intensity that Maley brought in in her first first outing as an Opal. Yeah, um, unbelievable. Like, she literally got subbed on, lined up in a free throw, got an offensive rebound and a putback and an N1 play within the first, what, seven seconds of her being on the court. Like, that is unheard of. Yeah, I mean, there, there was absolutely no fear in what she was doing there under the basket. It just all fell into place. And it's another example of what she's gotten to be known for and why she was MVP. Oh, yeah, it was the classic kind of Maley stamping of her saying, yeah, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, but, I mean, we, we saw her there. We knew she was back, but she really made a mark on the game and and on the Australian basketball landscape by pulling that player. She got subbed on. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, 11 points, 11 points for the game. That's, oh, that was a great performance. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, she's working in a, obviously playing in a different system compared to when she was at Bendigo, playing with a lot of different people. She still got a decent amount of shots up. And I feel like a lot of her points did still come from under the basket. Um, what was she? 11.7 rebounds, yep. uh, one steal, one block. Yeah, and I was really surprised that she played 25 minutes because, um, I mean, she came into the squad late. Yeah, was lucky to suit up this game to make her Opals debut and it was really good that she could play a whole 25 minutes, almost making up for lost time maybe. Yeah, I, I think so. And I suppose the other part to it is that if that's the sort of performance that she can put in, given the lack of practice with the team overall, Imagine what she could do with a bit more practice and getting to know the strategies that Cheryl was going to be putting into play and just that experience of playing with the other players and getting into sync. She would have been good for for a lot more production if she'd had that opportunity. Yeah, and I think what we need to um, remember as well as fans, when out some of our favourite players like Maley and Nicholson and Shyla Hills of the world will play you know exceptionally well in the WNBL for their respective teams but then when you put them in the same team with the other you know 10 to 12 players who are playing exceptionally well for their teams in the WNBL you can't always expect the same productivity from those players as what they would be you know providing in their WNBL teams um it's about playing you know it's going to be different dynamics it's going to be different 
court time. It's going to be adjusting to a limited number of touches compared to what they're used to. So I think sometimes when we think of those types of players, we've just got to be a little bit more mindful of that and be a little bit kinder to them as well that, you know, like Lauren Nicholson had a huge season in the in the bubble. The bubble season last year, you know, really good off the pick and roll and hitting those elbow shots. But you've got to remember that that's not always going to be a play drawn up for her when she's in the Opals as well. So, but to see Maylie being producing what she's been doing for Bendigo, translating and transferring yeah. into an Opals team, that's that's when it gets super exciting. Oh, for sure. And you're right. It is different because once you start coming out of your WNBL team, you're moving into the Opals, it's no longer a situation where you've got one or two, you know, really key players and you're supported with role players. Even the role players in the Opals are key players. Mm. There's, there's, If you look at the roster, there's not, not that I'm saying that there's weak points in the WNBL teams, but it's actually a really, really strong lineup that we've got in the Opals. and. More importantly, there's another that many players who are just outside before you even consider the ones who are overseas playing and couldn't be here. Mm. Yeah, so it's already a super competitive roster thinking, you know, oh, who, who's going to take what spot for the World Cup? And you're like, oh, hold on, we've still got another six overseas that we need to consider. And you could pretty confidently say that, you know, those six are, are pretty certain to be in the team because um, yep. you've got the likes of, yeah, Sammy Whitcomb, Ezzy, Steph Talbot, Tolo. Alana Smith is um, unfortunately who's just been waived by Indiana. Yep. Wally. Wally is the other one I'm missing, Wally. So Wally is so interesting, though, because from memory, I don't think she was in the Olympic squad. No. But, you know, joined the Asia Cup squad, had a relatively good tournament there, continued to play reasonably well for Southside Flyers, but didn't ever get a starting spot. Yeah. Was always coming off the bench and then is turning up to the WNBA and scoring, you know, game and career high 17 points. So you can't really ignore that either. No. If there's anything, what this tells me is that from the standpoint of the Opals, we've got a lot of depth. We've got a lot of talent that can develop through the system as well. So, you know, over time, veterans who will be calling time on their international representative career, we know that we've got that depth that's going to be able to come up through the ranks to be able to keep the Opals competitive. I think if anything that this um, series has shown is that, you know, against Japan who play a different style of game to us because they're so much faster and so much more agile, regardless of the fact that it was a a 2-1 series, there wasn't a lot in any of the games. No, no, not at all. There was really wasn't a lot. Like even if you're looking at the stats for game three that was last night in Newcastle, there's really not a lot in it. It came down to free throws. Like that's, I mean, and I mean, we're always going to say that. Free throws win games. That's going to be like, you know, one of the cliches of of all time. Really came down to free throws. So two-point percentage, Opals was 50%, Japan was 54%. Three-point percentage, Opals was 23, Japan was 28. Um, Yeah, sure, you know, small shavings of difference there. Free throws, 50% Opals, 77% Japan. Opals missed five free throws and they lose by two. Yeah, that's it. That's for me where it comes down to like rebounds were pretty even. Um, Japan had six more assists than Australia, like, you know, whatever, fair enough. Only three more fast break points. We had more second chance points and more points off the bench. Like, it's really even. Yeah. Yeah, just those free throws. 
It must kill you to come down to losing a two-point ball game knowing you missed five free throws. Yeah, and I mean, if we managed to get a couple more, it would have been OT. And the truth is, there were other opportunities that we missed out. I mean, there was a stretch there in game three where anything we shot from outside just wasn't going in. Mm. Not that there was a lot of, lot of different. I mean, what, we did uh, four from 17, they did eight from 28, you know. But we just went through this stretch at the, and I think it was early on in the game from memory where nothing from outside was going in. And it, I think it might have rattled the team a little bit at the beginning. Yeah, it probably did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're in a bit of a scoring drought, the longer the drought goes for, the more tension there is. And it's kind of like, we need to get a score, we need to get a score. And that kind of sense of panic actually works against you when you need to get a score. Um, I feel like now that you mention it, actually, just reflecting on that game when there was that scoring drought, the things that really worked uh, for parts of the game was just getting the ball inside a little bit more. Yep. Uh, which I feel like actually now that you mentioned it, perhaps the Opals could have done a little bit more of, even if it was just getting it into the high post of a horn set or just getting it to someone down low just to be just another point of ball rotation to suck in the defense because we've got so many good outside shooters or just something, just to change it up a little bit, attack the rim. Yeah, and let's not forget, we did have a height advantage. So mm. if we played to that it would have potentially thrown japan off their game a little bit having to worry about not only do we have to worry about defending the outside shot but we've got someone on the inside who's got a height advantage over us so therefore you know then they start getting a situation where they start thinking do we need to double team the center and leave someone open on the outside so that it starts to force them into a situation where they've got to start making choices mm. yeah that's right yeah i think they could have probably yeah done a little bit more of that but I mean, we, we don't know what they were asked to do or what the coaching staff was asked to implement or anything. We're, we're just kind of putting our own two cents in, I guess. Yeah, and look, we've got to be clear. I mean, they did well, right? And hmm. I think there was a lot of experimentation going on because you can be pretty certain that there's a few people that, you know, I'm scared to say this, but there are, there are some players who you can be pretty confident are going to be in the team. Tolo, Ezzy, Kayla. Steph Talbot. Steph Talbot. Tess. Sammy. Sammy. You know, so you got to start thinking that what they were really experimenting with is who's going to be that second line of players who are going to be there to support the ones who we're pretty confident will be in the team. Mm. And if you start looking at the game that way, and if the, I mean, every coach wants to win, but if you're looking at playing the long game, mm. it's not so much. You know, we would have loved to have won the series, absolutely no question, but at least you start looking at you think, well, you know, if some of these adjustments that they were playing around with make a lot more sense. Yeah, and then that's kind of the decision of, well, do we want, like, I feel like some of the players, uh, especially in the guard positions who were fighting for those final spots, it's the trade-off between do you go for someone who, is better at guarding the ball? Like, do you go for, like, stronger defenders or do you go for people who are perhaps going to give you a bit more firepower on the offensive end? Because for me, if I'm picking my, you know, ninth to twelfth players, I'm picking defenders personally. Yeah. So um, people like Jade, Melbourne, Steph Reed, really excellent on-ball defenders. Yep. But perhaps haven't perhaps stepped into their own just yet with the limited opportunities they've had in the Opals program to show themselves as scorers. But 
Yeah, I don't know. That's just me and that's just purely based on the style of basketball I like to play and coach. But I don't know. What would you what are you what are you edging towards, Paul? Um look, based off this performance, I would like and I said it earlier, I'd like to see a more solid defensive structure to the team. You could see that the defense was there. The defensive intensity just went up and down. And I think whoever was on the court at the time, it kind of played around with the level of defensive intensity. We know we've got a lot of really good offensive players. Mm. If we've got people that we can bring in when we need to try and up that defensive intensity, that would help to make the team that much stronger. But also, even if you look at the pool we're in, you've got the teams that we're up against, we're going to have some very different requirements for defense. Like defending Japan is going to be different to defending Serbia. Mm. Yeah, Um, for sure. You know, we've got to start thinking about how is this going to influence the selection of the roster that you're going to bring in into the Opals. But if anything, what we've shown over this series is we can certainly match up on the speed on the floor, both offense and defense. I think it's, you know, it keeps coming back. I think we've got the core there. It's now just sort of messing around with outside the core to get enough mutually supportive skills so that as you start rotating the players, you're not really opening yourself up to too many weaknesses. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing I think on offense, like I was saying before, they're all stars in their own right in their own WNBL teams. And they're probably all used to having the role of, you know, I'm allowed or I'm supposed to take so many shots a game have a little bit more freedom in how much they can do on offense and how many shots they can take and how much they can penetrate and create and things like that and then obviously in an Opal's uh, situation when you're with other players like that that's going to be compromised so I wonder as well like when you're picking the team for the World Cup thinking about offense you've got to try and pick the players who are really committed to playing their role in that Opal's roster and if that means taking less shots and giving it up to your other, you know, core group, say, that you were talking about before. Like, I think that's better off investing in those people who are committed to like, okay, my role right now is to make sure that if Kayla's open in the high post, I get her the ball. And knowing though that if I'm wide open for a three-pointer, that is still expected to be my shot to take and I will be comfortable to take it. So someone like Bet Cole who, when she plays for Southside Flyers, has the ball in her hands a lot. So it was really odd actually watching last night, seeing Beck Cole play with less minutes and less touches on the ball because I'm so used to her having a lot more control on the offensive end. But I feel like she's still mature enough to take that step back and say, okay, if the three is open, I'll shoot it because that's my job, but it's also my job to look at these other options first. Um, Whereas I feel like some of the younger players – haven't shifted to that mindset just yet. Yeah. Look, international competition with the Opals is a different mindset. Mm. It's it's more about building a team structure where everybody is supporting one another and even though you are a star in the WNBL, you're not going to be a star on this team because that's not necessarily what's going to work to get you to a successful outcome in international competition. Sometimes, you know, the best thing is to hand the ball off to somebody else, step back, 
don't take your traditional role and give other players the opportunity because that also could throw off the opposition on the basis that they think, oh, you know, this is the person that's traditionally the go-to. And then automatically that could sort of throw them off, particularly depending on how they've scouted the game. Mm, Yeah, it's always a lot harder to beat kind of like a team who um, are all capable of scoring at any given time, um, just dependent on, you know, what else is happening in that game and what other role that they're playing rather than knowing that, you know, Ezzy's going to shoot every time she does this or or something like that. Just, just, yeah, not too sure if I articulated exactly what I wanted to say, but it kind of makes sense in my head. You know, just while we, we were talking about this, I had a quick look at the, the Game 2 stats. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, everything else was sort of in the ballpark except for the free throws, again, for Australia. Uh, see, that, yeah, that hurts me as well because I'm like, come 55 on, against 84 because everything else was, you know, field goals – 30 to 28, two-pointers 36 to 30, three-pointers 20 to 25, free throws 55 to 84. Like, and this is, I mean, this is an NBL one, guys. This is World (laughs) Cup preparation. If there's any shot that you need to be making, it's free throws. Uncontested, easy shot to make that you should be practicing day in, day out. It's free throws. Like how... How frustrating. Yeah, game two, lost by one and missed four free throws. Yeah, and game one, which we won, Mm. um, the biggest gap was in the three-pointers. We scored 34% against Japan's 25, but again with the free throws, we're at 66 versus 81. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's bizarre why the free throws are really lacking. Yeah, Yeah, and, and the thing that gets me is, these are all players who usually nail free throws pretty well. Mm. And obviously, you know, there's the pressure of being it's it's the Opals and obviously there's a whole bunch of adjustments that are going on. And it was a very young team as well. Yeah, the Opals. Yeah. 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 I remember at the end of the game last night, I think I think pretty sure Nathan Strample was the MC on the court announcer for the night. He was interviewing Sarah Blissars at the end. And kind of referring to her as a veteran. And she's like, I'm not even that old, mate. I'm only 29. <laughs> Which is true. Like, 29's not old at all. She's still no. got lots of playing days ahead of her. But I think that just because she's been a part of the program for a while and been a part of some kind of Australian program for a while, we've just known her for a long time. So it feels like she's perhaps older than, than what she actually is. But we are still a young team. And we've still got, you know, there's lots of talk on the Twitter sphere about investing in the Opal's future and investing in the youth and, you know, thinking prospectively towards Paris and things like that. And I really think that, you know, based on the roster that we had and considering the likes of Blissars are still only 29, I feel like the Opal's program have done a pretty good job of that. Oh, for sure. It is a young team that they're developing. You can see there's a, there's a, a roadmap there to take us, you know, from where we are today through the World Cup into the Paris Olympics and going forward from there. Because if you think about it, I'm just looking at the roster for for Game 3. You had Jade, Melbourne, Shyla Heal. You had Lauren Scherf, who's quite young. Steph Reed, Annalie Maley. Rochi. Rochi's pretty young still. Yeah, Maddie, Maddie Rochi. Hmm. Um, this is a, a, a lot of young players who are getting a lot of great experience who, even if they don't get the call up for the World Cup, you can see them suiting up in a green and gold in the not-too-distant future. 
Oh, for sure. And then you think about there were other players in the Asia Cup team as well. So I think they've done a really good job of keeping a good breadth of talent in touch with the program too. So we still had Zatina, who was picked for this tournament, but was unfortunately unwell. We still had yep. Keely Froling, who had a couple of games in there. Yep. Tiana, Jazz Shelley, they went to the Asia Cup. So they're still in touch with the program as well. So yeah, I feel like they've done a pretty good job of investing in a good breadth of players. And the, I, and the comments of, you know, the, there was a comment about game two I saw online where it was like, oh, giving the has-beens too much court time. And I was like, oh, my word. No, 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 no. The, the, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't Be care. a little bit more out of touch with, with reality, yeah. mate. No, really, there was no has-beens on that roster. I don't care what anybody says. But I will say this. Whoever it was that said that, I would love to see them get in a room and explain their point of view to Kayla, given what she said when we interviewed her, and I'd love to be the one selling the popcorn to that one. You know what? I'm so glad you said that because as soon as I read that comment, that is exactly what I thought about. I exactly thought about Kayla's comments when we interviewed her about how she's like, you know, it's up to me. You know, my age shouldn't determine how long I want to play basketball for. No. And I was like, I, I like absolute power to you. This whole idea of, you know, women reaching a certain age and they, they're they over the hill, they should be retiring, they should be having kids. It's their choice. They can do what they want. They don't need to be yeah. um, subscribing to these aged societal norms. Bloody no, stupid. And on top of that, look, I don't think there was anything wrong with the performance that Kayla put in during that game. No way. Or actually any of the so-called old-timers, they acted as a solid anchor for the team Mm. that allowed the rest of the players to be able to do their thing. And, you know, if they made a mistake, okay, guess what? Everyone makes mistakes and that's okay. Mm. But you know you've got this solid core of players. They're confident in what they're doing. Yeah, okay, they might miss a few shots, but you know what? They're there and they're playing consistently. And as the basketball IQ over over time has grown, they're actually able to make adjustments to suit what the opposition's doing. So, yeah, no. Um, that's one of those comments. I just, sorry, I just don't buy it. Oh, you can, and you can guess the type of person that wrote that comment and the way that you described, you know, the likes of Tess, Majin, Blissavs, Kayla George, they were the anchors. They were yeah. the, part of the Opal squad that went to Tokyo Um, their role as well in this tournament was to um, be leaders uh, for the emerging Opals that were in the squad, pass on the level of intensity, relentlessness, and the the culture that Timsey talks about. It's also part of their role to cement that into the emerging Opals to make sure that that's always going to be existing as part of their program. So their, their role goes beyond what they're producing on the court in these situations. And, I mean, Kayla had 14... She had 14, 7, and 4 and two steals in 26 minutes. Yeah, so absolutely. If you want to tell me that's the stats of a has-been. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. feel like you need to reassess your life. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that 100%. It's just no. Yeah, think, no, just no. <laughs> yeah, just no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I get, look, I actually I get that there's a lot of fans out there who want to see their favourite player there in, in the green and gold and, and doing their thing. And you know what? They're going to get their chance. Yep. They will get their chance. 
But turning around and saying, yeah, look, the core anchor of the team, we're just mm. going to throw that out. That's not going to help the Opals achieve what they're trying to achieve. Mm-mm. I mean, no way. the way they're putting this team together, you know the coaching staff and with all the experimentation they've done since the Tokyo Olympics in terms of roster, you can tell. I don't think anybody's going to be satisfied unless they can get to that gold medal game. They may not take no. the gold medal, but, you know, it's just got that feeling to it. It's like we're not going to be satisfied unless we're in that game. Yeah, look, I'll be honest and say me either. But um, <laughs> that's just me being <laughs> super fan, Opal super fan that I am. And, you know, touching on what you said about, um, you know, how we, you know, as fans, you do want to see your favourite players get more minutes and get in the team and things like that. And even when we're talking about before, about having to readjust your regular role in a team when you're playing at an international level. I got to actually go to a pre-game event uh, hosted by Basketball New South Wales and some of their uh, legacy programs like I Am A Girl last night before the Opals game and Jan Sterling and Jenny Screen were doing a Q&A with our, another friend of the podcast, Rachel Herrick. Yep. And something that Jan, oh, honestly, this was like the coolest q and I went to and I started to record some answers on my phone just because what they were saying were like with gold. <laughs> and something that Jan Sterling said, now, you know, but, you know, a reminder to our listeners who probably also know, Jan Sterling being the legendary Opals coach who coached the Opals to two silver Olympic medals and the gold medal at the 2006 World Championship. Yep. She said, you know, players can't have this sense of entitlement. There's no sense of entitlement of I deserve to be in the team for this reason, I deserve to be in the starting five for this reason. Any kind of inch of sense of entitlement for me, whether it's, you know, I should be starting over this person, I should be getting this many shots, all of those kinds of things needs to be thrown out the window, I feel like, when you get to an international level because that might work for you in your NBL1 and your WNBL clubs and perhaps that's what the coach is asking you to do. But when it comes to Opal's time, that kind of stuff, there's no room for that stuff. No. It's actually to have a successful international team where you've got the best players from a variety of clubs, it's all about sacrifice. Mm. You've got to be willing to sacrifice your regular style of I'm the one who gets the shots, I'm the one who puts you've got to be able to sacrifice that so that you can identify and get the ball to the right player who's in the right position to give you the best opportunity to score. Mm, Sacrifice is a much better way of putting it, I think. I really like how you phrase that. So, yeah, look, i got to say, out of the whole thing, I'm really impressed with Mm. the way the team performed. You know, I think there were just a lot of standout players. You know, and look, we can never say enough about Maley because – she yeah. just doesn't quit. You know, I mean, she was putting her body on the line so many times in that game. Every opportunity, you know, you'd see her up there fighting for the ball, no matter what was going on. You could tell at the beginning until Japan kind of adjusted a little bit on her own, she threw their approach to the game because they've really not had an opportunity to try and scout her within the Opals environment. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask the hard question now, right? <laughs> yeah. Give me your, if based on what we've seen for the Opals in the last 12 months, so include oh. include Tokyo, Asia Cup, 
but yeah, based on what we've seen in the Opals in the last 12 months, oh, so include the... Tokyo, Serbia. I feel like there was one. Asia other. Cup. Yeah. And this series. Yep. Do you feel like you could kind of give a rough 12 of who, based on that, who oh, would you take tomorrow 12. to okay. the World Cup? Who would Spring I take? Bringing it on you. Okay. Who would I take? Uh, Sammy, Tolo, Kayla, Tess, Ezzy, um, Sarah Blikavs. And it's getting interesting after that that first six. I'll definitely throw Maley in that mix. It gets really tough after that. Um, um, Talbot? Yeah, Steph Talbot, Beck Cole. Yeah? Yeah. I'm just thinking about the opposition. We might, You know, they, I could see Scherf in there just as we could have have some real height, right? And Ezzy's in, the, in that mix as well. But, you know, Kayla and Scherf really will get in there and they've got the power under the basket. Uh, beyond that, I'm kind of starting to starting to gets scratch tough. a bit. It gets tough because there's just so many other names you can, you, you can put in there. Is you know, Loz Nicholson's there, Jade Melbourne's there, Shyla's there, and there's there's another three or four names that you could easily throw in as well. The one name that has kind of dropped off the radar is yeah. Tessa Levy. Yeah, it's true. She yeah. went to the Olympics, played a great – I felt like she had a great WNBL season again. Yep. I feel like she played really well in Tokyo when she was on, but just hasn't been – she didn't go to Asia Cup, I suppose, maybe a conflicting schedules with AFLW and WNBL. Um, not too sure why she wasn't included in this thing because perhaps she was invited and perhaps she just declined because she needed a rest or something like that and knowing that there will be an opportunity to come back in the fold later. Yeah, um, but I still honestly feel like she's up for the job. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with that. Mm. Um, she's been at two Olympics now. She went to Rio too. Yeah, I suppose if there's anything that's come out of this last little sort of back and forth, it's wow, we got such an amazing amount of talent. So much, like almost too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's an embarrassment of riches. Mm. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really going to come down to who we're going to be matching up against in competition in our mm. pool and potentially who we're going to be seeing past the pool rounds. Yeah. Because you've got to be able to take in a roster that's going to be able to match up against a variety of different teams who've got a variety of different strengths and weaknesses. So it's always going to be a bit of a compromise. Mm. And that makes it really tough because, like I said, okay, so you've got Kayla and Scherf who are strong centres, right? Mm. But what if we're coming up against a team that don't have so many centres, but they're, they're far, like Japan, for argument's sake? What do you do then? How do you adjust, given that you've got, you know, this is your roster? Mm. It's one of those really interesting questions. Makes it a little bit more exciting. It does. I would hate to be a selector. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. They would be, I think that would be one of the toughest jobs in basketball. Especially, I think it's sometimes easier if you're a coach or a selector and you have a very strict criteria and a very strict uh, game plan or or focus for what you want, what your non-negotiables are, so to speak, for your team and your team culture and, and all that and your style of play. But when you've got 12 to 18 to 20 players who are capable of fulfilling yeah. Yeah. that plan, you're like, oh, well, so now how do we separate them after that? <laughs> Yeah, Can we take it, two teams as the host nation, Australia and Australia A, like in the cricket? You, you kind of wish you could. Yeah. There is enough talent that you could put two strong teams in the field. Yeah, yeah, it would be great. So do you want to hear my 12? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, yeah, I, I kind of sometimes try not to do these types of things because I know it always will come back and bite me on the ass. <laughs> but this is kind of the thing we sign up for, right, when we do alternative media. So yep. I've gone in positions and then added an extra two who I feel like could probably be slotted in multiple positions. Okay. So I've gone Sammy and Tess Levy. I'm still yep. putting her in there. Okay. Um, two spot, I'm putting Nicholson and Christy Wallace. Okay. Oh, Chris, yeah, Wally. I forgot all about Wally. It's, yeah, go on. Yeah, so there's too many to remember. Yeah, I know. <laughs> too many good people to remember. That's it. Three spot, I put Majin and Blissarbs. Yep. Four spot, I've got Ezzy and Steph Talbot. Yep. Five, I've got Tolo and Kayla. Yep. So that's 10. And for my 11th and 12th spots, I've got Jade, Melbourne and Maylie. I'm going to date it and take a photo of it so I can remember <laughs> what I wrote. <laughs> yeah, I can't disagree with it. You know, it's just so hard to choose. It yeah. really is. Now, before we wind this one up and go, yeah. there's one other piece of big news that's dropped this week, and that is Matt Logue came out with a detailed story about what happened in pre-Olympics. Mm. It's caused, well, let's just call it a bit of a ruckus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to put it lightly. Yep. There's been an astounding amount of commentary on, on social media about it. Mm-hmm. In one respect, I think, it. look, first of all, it's good that it's, it's out. So it means yeah. that all those question marks that have been hanging around since then that the, you know, from BA not coming out and telling us something other than, yeah, it's been dealt with, and that's good. I think the other good thing that's come out of it is we can draw a line under this now and put it to bed. It doesn't matter what happens from this point forward. We've heard all about it. Everybody's had their opinion. Yes, Liz has come back and given her opinion, which disagrees in a lot of situations with what's in the article. And I've kind of been thinking about it and I've come to the conclusion of, you know what? I actually don't care anymore. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of done. Um, I know there's been a lot of commentary from the US where it's like, oh, why did Australia leak this now? Well, you know, Australia didn't leak it. It's, it's just the article that's come out, you know. And it was always going to be picked up globally just because of the whole situation. It, it was no big secret. But I think finally Australian basketball and all the Australian basketball fans can put a line under this and say, okay, we now have a story. We've seen some of the video. It's done. Everybody's had their rant. Let's put it to bed. Let's bury it in the dumpster out the back and let's just move forward. Yeah. It's interesting because, like you said, uh, you know, people in the Basketball Australia circles, look, basketball gossip goes around very quickly. My yeah. advice to listeners and our <laughs> friends is that if you have gossip, either don't tell anyone or only tell it to a very trusted few because, yeah, it, it can spread very quickly and it can, yeah, it cannot be very good. So I feel, you know, us us included and our listeners and um, basketball fans alike probably knew about this story, like the truth of this story, very soon after it happened. Yeah. So for us having known the story and feeling like, you know, I spoke to someone online the other day over message just saying, you feel like we were sitting on a secret 
for the last 12 months because we knew actually what had happened, but there was no public statement about it. There was no public reports about it. It kept just being referred to as an altercation at a trial match when the yeah. when us in the basketball circle actually knew what happened and what was said, but nothing publicly had come out about it. For us, for me, I feel like finally the yep. rest of the world can know. But you're completely right. For us that have known the last year, we're also so over it already that we're ready to put it to bed and not care about it and move on and focus on the World Cup. But now now it's all been made public and it's getting over to the US. Now the US are only just finding out. It's like this delayed response yeah. that is just going to dig everything else up again. So it's really interesting on you know social media and all these articles and the videos and stuff are being shared. There's a lot of people... I mean, you don't really always know someone's location on social media when you're chatting with a bunch of strangers. Yeah. So it's really interesting that a bunch of people are just, you know, commenting, can we get over it? We've moved past it. It's a year old. And then, you know, you see people on the other side of the world going, I've never heard of this before. How come it's only coming out now? You know, so it is like the two halves of the of the world geographically and in a basketball world are just only hearing the same information a year apart. So I think that's a bit annoying, um, but unavoidable. Yep. The other things of this whole event that kind of stick out to me is that, A, she's come out and attacked the Australian program and her teammates, which I feel is would be really hurtful. Yep. Especially for her teammates, because me knowing that there were people in Opal squads and her previous WNBL teams that were tasked with, you need to look after Liz. Yeah. Part of your role in this team is to keep Liz calm because we need her calm so she can play well. That's, that's you know, you you do it, but it's burdensome on the person, especially if the person's already, you know, a, a starter, they're expected to score a bunch of points, they're, you know, an import or getting paid the most. That's already a lot of pressure to perform. And now, oh, by the way, you've got to go babysit your teammate. Yeah. And then for her to turn around and say she was unsupported by her teammates and that they didn't care about her, like that's hurtful. For um, sure. And I, I think you know, Andrew Gaze also came out and said that he found it offensive because yeah. he knew how much support had been provided. Mm. And, you know, like all of this has gone on. And, look, I have no doubt that Matt Logue definitely did all his research and I've read the article and it is a well-written, well-considered article. It doesn't go into a lot of sensationalism. It's very, very factual. And I also get that there are people who are still, you know, in a position where they want to play for their their country who don't want to be named, and I get that. Mm. But I think, you know, overall it's time for us to draw that line and say there's no point making any other, other commentary about the individuals involved and what's taken place. We know from talking to Tolo, we know from talking to Kayla that there was a lot of, a lot of impact. And now I think that it's out. It gives them an opportunity to be able to just get past that and get back to the business of playing. If there's any, anything that I would like to say, it's, it's a shame that story wasn't held out for one more week so that it could come out after this friendly series was over and done with with Japan. But I get it. You know, you got to sell papers. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like, you know, and then uh, everyone was eagerly anticipating Liz's response. So she's put her 
I guess, response to the story and onto the allegations or whatever on Instagram, uh, turned off the comments, which was a choice. Um, <laughs> the thing in the statement that I don't understand as well, um, or that I have a, a, a grievance with, is that it's quite contradictory. Um, she basically starts by saying, uh, I didn't do the things that I'm alleged of doing, but I apologised for for doing those things. So it's like, so first you say that you didn't do it, but you apologise. So what are you actually apologising for if you feel like you have nothing to apologise for? You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. like, but I apologised, but I didn't do anything. So it's like, yeah. well, which one is it? And then, to, and then to say, oh, you know, I didn't even want to play that game and they made me play. And then I ended up swinging my elbow at someone, so it's not my fault. Yeah, look, I read that statement and I thought, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies. And I thought about it a bit. And like I said, I just think that it's another instance of this is a point of view. This point of view seems to contradict what we've heard. And I'm just talking about the two people we've spoken to on the pod, Tolo and Kayla. And they didn't go into details, but they certainly talked about the impact that it had on them and on other players in the squad. And I'm just looking at it now and I'm thinking, this is one, okay, it's done now. Right? Mm. We've heard it from everybody and I'm glad it's come out just so as we can just be, there's no more questions. Now it's going to be a case of people in social media are going to have their opinions one way or the other. Fine, so be it. Let's get on to the World Cup. That's it, you know. Mm. The biggest bone of contention for me with the whole incident, regardless of, you know, the when it happened, how it happened, all the hurtful stuff, for me, the sticking point for me personally is the fact that uh, it was an issue involving racism. Yep. Liz is a woman of colour yep. who is a proud advocate of the Black Lives Matter movement and for an advocate and a woman of colour to resort to racism in any context for me is probably the most hurtful because, I mean, I probably don't even need to explain it uh, and I, I'm sure she's going to have some kind of explanation about, you know, transgenerational trauma, internalised racism, self-stigmatisation, whatever, but girl, like us women of colour, <laughs> we need to stick <laughs> together. Yeah. Full stop. And her dad is Nigerian. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And, and it's all of that. And members of the Nigerian team came out and said, yeah, this is what we heard. Mm. You know? And it is disappointing. But I think this is where the approach that uh, Andrew Gaze has taken, which is one that I, I agree with, is he's, it's basically, yeah, look, I disagree with what you're saying. I disagree with what you're saying for a whole bunch of reasons. And he goes into the reasons why he disagrees with it. And he says, Okay, that's it. We're done. Mm. Over and done with. You know, we've done everything we possibly can. And I think now, I actually think women's basketball in Australia is going to be better for it now that we can put this to bed and look forward to the World Cup and look forward to an upcoming WNBL season and, you know, no unnecessary drama. Yeah, totally. I to I'm totally on board with that. And can I encourage like any of our fellow alternative media broadcasters, I put that in inverted commas because I 
you know, still have imposter syndrome. And any of our listeners, fans, you know, when you are getting on social media and this kind of stuff comes up, just pay it no mind. Like let's try and focus on the positive, try and focus on the people in the squad right now, focus on the cup like you said. And it's just a shame that any time Australian women's basketball is heavily represented in the media is when it's this drama. But for me, it's a rash. Don't scratch it and it will go away. So if we stop kind of trying to pay more attention to it and publicize it, it's just going to fester. But just just treat it like a rash. Don't scratch it and it will go away. Oh, absolutely. And I get if people decide that they do want to make comments on social media, but if you do, let's not throw more, more fuel on the fire. Yes, there's a couple that I've commented on where people have said, oh, you know, it's anonymous people can say anything to a journalist. Well, the truth is Matt Logue knows who it is that's spoken to him. They're just not naming them in the article because the reality is that article would never have gone to press unless it was checked over by the army of News Corp lawyers who will check that article over. Yeah, They would have questioned it. They would have questioned him about who the sources were, about where he got the information, how he got the information, and they are satisfied that if they go to court, they're not going to lose. Yeah, yep. Okay. So, I mean, beyond that, there's no point in engaging than saying, look, this is what would have occurred. It's in an article. Australia's laws about saying things that aren't true are a lot tougher than the, the US. There's no way. So I have no doubt in the accuracy of what it is. Look, there might be a few little bits and pieces here and there that might not be 100% right. Mm. But the core of the article would be correct. And, yeah, that's it. It's done. Let's move forward. Cheryl Chambers said it. She was asked about it after game two. She said that's history for us. Okay. I think it should be history for, for basketball in Australia. And let's move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely on board with that. It's been an interesting one. It's been good talking to you. I'm, now I'm nervous that we've had to commit to teams. <laughs> <laughs> I took a photo. I'm kind of tempted to contact one of the players and just say, look, I've included yeah. you in my World Cup roster. <laughs> Can you confirm if you'll be getting back in the squad <laughs> so I don't look like a, a total idiot? Uh, but then again, that's not a bad thing either. I'm putting my opinion out there. I might cause some conversation. Yeah, it's always a good conversation. I'm really embarrassed that I forgot to mention Molly because there's just so many other names out there, you know. it's Oh, this it's just hard to keep up with all of the talent. It is. That's why, we, yeah, <laughs> that's why I kind of cheated that I had pen and paper in front of me and wrote down yours and I wrote down mine. So, I, I you know, I had an advantage and it was an unprompted question. I just kind of threw, you, threw it to you straight away. So... <laughs> I mean, handling adversities is uh, one of the Opal's um, seven non-negotiables, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. And you handled it well. <laughs> uh, okay, it's been great having you on. It's been great talking about this stuff. Can't wait to record our next pod. And thanks so much. No worries. We'll be back again. Absolutely. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.